Today we're going to talk about avoiding failure. Y'all for that? <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> and obtaining victory. Avoiding failure and defeat and obtaining victory. That, that's what our goal is. It's just a human nature. It's natural that we want to avoid failure. We want to avoid defeat. We want to obtain victory. It's just, that's just natural. And everybody in this room has experienced an element of, of uh, defeat and, and failure. Do you remember ABC Wide World of Sports every Saturday morning when I was a kid? I got up and, and it was the joy of victory and the agony of defeat. And there's always this guy spiraling down this ski jump, you know, smashing out. By the way, he didn't really get hurt hardly at all in that, for those of you who are wondering. And so, but it was still, he was defeated in that, that particular uh, challenge that he had there. So we, we, want to, we want to know and embrace victory, and it's just natural for us to want to do those things. And yet we live in this broken world. Y'all noticed that, didn't you? There's this broken, sin, sick world that's around us. All creation's even crying out for, for uh, the healing of, of planet Earth. And so there's broken worlds around us. But God's always calling us, always. He's always causing, calling us to rise up above it. Not to get stuck in the muck, not to get stuck in the pit, but to allow him to lift you up and we're to rise above it. And so I don't preach a gospel message that says when you come to Christ, there's, there's never a problem. You'll never have a trial. You'll never have a test. You'll never have a, an issue. You'll never have anything wrong or bad happen because we are in a broken world. But what I want to teach myself and you all is let's not have self-inflicted wounds. We looked at Samson last week. He was an example of what not to do. He... Samson, he, he damaged his life. He hurt his life. He made poor choices. He did not honor the call of God on his life. It was all of his choices that just ended up, you know, making his life a, a mess and so many unnecessary problems. And then, of course, we saw last week, too, that Paul told Timothy, he said, Timothy, some people have wandered from their faith in Jesus and they've pierced themselves uh, that line just always strikes me. They pierced themselves with many griefs. I wish the word many wasn't in there, but many griefs. They pierced themselves with many griefs. So, so we need to be wise. You know, the Apostle Paul said this. He said, I'm a wise master builder. We're all building a life. Let's be wise master builders in how we build it. We build it upon the foundation of the gospel, the apostles, the prophets, it says, and then we build on that, and we're wise in how we make our decisions. So, when we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, which don't have an overhead for that, I'm just telling you, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we're, we're taught there's four major things that the Israelites did that created failure and defeat in their lives. And then we read on, and it says that these, I think it's 1 Corinthians 10, 11, says these were examples for us. These were examples for us and warnings. They were examples and warnings for us. So when we look at the Old Testament, we see all these examples and warnings so we can learn what to do and what not to do. And there's a whole lot of what not to do in the Old Testament. And we all got a whole lot of what not to do in our own lives. So we need to learn what not to do and learn what to do to avoid defeat and failure and obtain victory. So, Samson was that perfect example for us on what not to do. And remember, there is a high cost to living low, and Samson did that for us, showed us that. But there's lots of Old Testament examples, and uh, hundreds of them. So we're just going to look at a couple today and see what we can glean from, from that. 
when, when the children of Israel, the children of Israel were taken out of Egypt, remember the story? They passed through the Red Sea and they've got this promise of God that they're going to go to the promised land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. And they're on their journey towards the promised land and they're sending out 12 spies. Now the spies were supposed to come back and just tell about what it was like and what their strategy should be. They weren't supposed to come back and say whether they could or couldn't take it. God already told them they could take it. But they came back and 10 of them said, we're not able to take it. We're like grasshoppers in their sight, and they thought we looked like grasshoppers, and said, we're not able to take this land. And the Bible said they gave an evil report. But truthfully, if you read it, they gave an actual factual report. They gave a factual report. But the reason it was evil is because God said, I'm going to give you the land. I'm going to go before you. I'm going to fight your battles. I'm going to give you victory. And they chose not to believe the word of God, and they chose to believe what their own senses told them, and so 10 people gave an evil report, and two people, Joshua and Caleb, rose up and said, we're more than able to take the land. Let's go possess it at once. Well, they saw the same thing the other people saw. Why did they think they were able? Because they believed God. They believed God wasn't a liar, that God would do what he said he would do. And so they, that whole generation of unbelievers died in the wilderness. And they spent 40 years in the wilderness and I haven't studied it out recently, but I think they were supposed to spend about 40 days. It wasn't that long they were supposed to be in the wilderness. They spent 40 years in the wilderness because of their unbelief. My friends, we don't want to spend 40 years in the wilderness. We want to move on into the promised land. And so Moses dies. He's raising up Joshua. He says to Joshua, he says, as I was with Moses, so will I be with you. And he says, now there's a whole new generation, whole new generation of of hopefully believers who are going to go after it. And so they cross over, and they have their first battle, which is against Jericho. Now, Jericho is a mighty fortified city. It's a big battle. And you probably you might have even learned a little song when you were younger. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, and uh, the walls came tumbling down. And so they're in this battle with Jericho, and it's real strategic. There's probably a thousand lessons in the story. But the one I, I want to look at is they obey God, they do what God said, and they have a mighty victory. And God says to them, all the plunder, all the spoils, that just means what's left over after the enemy's dead, defeated, or ran away, he said, all of it, listen to what the Lord says, is mine. So what the Lord said, it's all mine. All of it. He said he wants all the silver, all the gold, all the brass, all the iron to go into the treasury of the Lord, not into Joshua's treasury or the people's treasury, but in the treasury of the Lord. And so he says, it's all, it's all his. And so they have this incredible victory, and then they run up to a little town called Ai. Now, I want to say it's about Jericho. It's important to know. It was what, in the Old Testament, they would have understood as a first fruit offering. They're going into this first battle, and it all belongs to the Lord. So oftentimes there'd be a first fruit offering. And, and that first fruit, the first, the first lamb that comes out of the womb, is God's. Not the whole flock, not every lamb that comes out of that womb, but the first one is the Lord's. And so this, they would have understood this concept of, of this first fruit offering. And so it all belongs to God. Now, that's not going to be what happens later, but that happens on this first one. And so they go to this next battle, and it's a little town of Ai. And they say, no sense bothering all the soldiers. Let's just take a few of the soldiers. 
3,000. 3,000 would be more than enough to go defeat AI. And so they go into battle against AI, and AI defeats them. They kill like 37 of their men, and they take off running back to the camp, and Israel says, we don't know what happened. We just got routed by AI, little tiny AI. And they said, that's a problem, because when all the bigger uh, armies around find out we couldn't even handle AI, we're done for. Now, Joshua and the elders and the people did something very strategic. Here's something to learn on the good side. They sought the Lord. They said, what's going on? What did we do? Where did we miss it? What can we correct? How can we fix this? And then they begin to seek the Lord. And the Lord says that they didn't obey. And somebody has stolen from him. And they say, well, how, how, do they steal, how do you steal from God? When God says something is holy and set apart and sanctified for him, and you keep some of it for you, you just rob God. And so there's this whole process of how they go through it, and they finally make their way down to a guy named Achan. And Achan says this. Let's read it, Joshua 7, 21. Achan said, When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver, and a bar of gold, Weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. There's a little side note here. And, and I, it, we, we have to walk this tension, this tightrope in the scripture. We do live under a different covenant. We do live under a better covenant, better, upon better promises, but there's a lot to be learned from this. Achan's sin affected the whole community. I've told people before they just want to be rebellious and we're talking. I said, you know what? If you could just go sin in a vacuum and not affect anybody else, I'm just at the point to say, go have at it. But sadly, you can't. Your sin trickles into all kinds of other people's lives who love you and care for you. And there's no such thing as I'll just do my own thing right here. It affects other people. And Achan's sin affected other people. And so it didn't go well with Achan. The anger of the Lord was kindled. Uh, Achan, his family, everything he owned and possessed was killed, murdered, destroyed, burned, and piled up under a pile of rocks. You say, wow, that was pretty serious, wasn't it? Yes, it was pretty serious. This was a first fruit offering. It was their first journey into the promised land. And someone sinned. Then they went on to have victory again. So we learned this. Coveting, disobedience, those are, are recipes for defeat and for failure. By the way, just a little side note on coveting because I've found Christians saying, you know what, I, I need a new car. and I saw friends of mine's new car and I really like their new car and I think I'd like to get one like that. Am I coveting? No, you're not. You're not. Had, had Achan seen that beautiful robe from Babylon and said, wow, that is beautiful. And if I ever get to Babylon, I'm going to pick one of those up. That's beautiful. That would not be coveting. But he said, I'm going to take what isn't mine. I, I want it with enough intensity that I'll take what isn't mine. And that's coveting. And so there's nothing wrong if somebody's got some power tool you love and you could use. It's wrong if you steal theirs, but it's not wrong if you say, I'm going to get one of those one day. So I want, wants to know that's okay to like something someone else has. But here he stole what was sacred and holy and set apart for God. And so disobedience, remember, God said, do this. And he said, no, I'm not going to do it. Coveting, taking from God. 
There's another Old Testament story that always intrigues me. It's, it's Eli. If you think, I'm not sure who Eli is, but you were in Sunday school class for many years in your life. You'll remember that there was a, a lady named Hannah who wanted a baby, and she prayed, and Eli, the prophet, heard it and told her she'll have a baby within a year, and she was dedicated to the Lord. And so she had this baby, and she brought this baby to Eli, and his name was Samuel. And Samuel's the one, you might have heard the story, that he heard you know, someone call his name, and he got up and ran to Eli and said, what do you want? And he said, I don't want anything. I didn't say anything. Go back to bed. So he goes back to bed. And then he hears his name called again. He runs to Eli. What do you want? He said, I don't want anything. And he starts thinking, hey, you know what? Maybe he's hearing from the Lord. So he says, if you hear that again, say, here am I. You know, talk to me. Let's, let's fellowship. And Samuel does that. And Samuel is the prophet that God's raising up. Well, Eli is, um, he's not a strong leader. He's definitely not a strong dad. And he has two very evil, wicked sons, uh, Hophni and Phinehas who are key priests underneath the dad, but they are rascals. And the scripture says in 1 Samuel 2.12, in 1 Samuel 2.12, the King James actually says, Phineas and, and Hophni didn't even know the Lord. And they're the priests. Now some translations say they had no regard or no respect for the Lord. So they, they shouldn't be in that leadership position, but they are. And God's still going to work things out. And then this, they're the spiritual leaders, and they are fighting with the Philistines. You know, what's new about that? If you read the Old Testament, they're fighting with the Philistines. But the Philistines seem to be having the upper hand. And so they're thinking, wow, why, we just got defeated by the Philistines. I forget how many. They lost like 3,000 soldiers in a battle. So they went, what's going on here? And they say, you know, I know what we can do. Let's go get the Ark of the Covenant out of Shiloh from Shiloh. We'll bring it out here because that's where the glory and presence of God comes. And we'll take the ark out in front of the army. And Hophni and Phinehas will be in front of it. And they'll have an armed guard in front, armed guard behind. And God will, will give us victory because of the ark of the covenant has gone before them. And guess what? I'm going to tell you something about God. He couldn't care less about all this kind of stuff. The temple that was dedicated to him, he allowed to be utterly demolished and destroyed. Why? Because he doesn't, he's not into all this little stuff. And so they're using the Ark of the Covenant as like a lucky charm, like, a, like a, um, a, an idol that they're taking out. God says, I ain't, I ain't playing with that. And 30,000 other people are killed, and Hophni and Phinehas are killed, and it's a bad scene. So when you think you've got some kind of lucky charm that's going to move God, he's not moved by, by your lucky charms and your rabbit's foot and all that stuff. He, he's not even moved by his own temple that was built in his honor. He is God. He's the God of the universe. He's the God that even said when they built in the temple, what temple are you going to build that can hold me? You know, there's nothing, nothing that holds. The earth is my footstool. The heavens are my throne. He's everywhere. So he's not really into all these little things we might want to create. And so this ark has gone out. By the way, a little side note, because I always had questions like this as I was learning the Bible. The ark, most people, when they hear the ark, they think of what? Noah's ark. The word ark just means box. And so it might sound like, this, well, that's not so spiritual. It's not a spiritual word. It's just a box. And Moses, or Noah, I mean, and his family and all those animals were floating around in a waterproof box. So what they, you ever see an actual design of, of the ark? It's not some ship like most of the paintings show. It's like a square box. You could read how it was made and it floated around and kept them safe. This box, the Ark of the Covenant, held a jar of manna, 
it held Aaron's rod, which was cut from an almond tree. And guess what? After the thing was cut off, it kept budding and producing almonds. We serve a God who gives life to the dead. Woo, he gives life to the dead. Here's a dead stick, and God allow it to bud and bear almonds. He gives life to the dead. He calls those things which be not as though they were. That's the God we serve. And so in that Ark of the Covenant is manna, a jar of manna. Manna wouldn't last over 24 hours, 48 hours on, on, on before the Sabbath was it. And here's a jar of manna. It's going to last as long as God wants it to last in there. And then there's the stone tablets with the Ten Commandments in the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark is a box. There were cherubim across the top. And their wings came together and touched, and they were made of gold. It's a beautiful box. I mean, it's not like a box like I got in my garage. This is a serious box. It's worth a, a fortune. And the presence of God would come down where those cherubim were on the mercy seat. And so they thought, we'll just go take this and we'll win this battle. But the ark gets captured by the Philistines, which that's a whole cool story that we're not going to talk about today. But, but they thought, I'll win because we'll do something magical. You know what they didn't do compared to Joshua? Joshua and the elders got on their face before God. They sought him. They prayed to him. They asked, what's going wrong? What can we correct? What should we adjust? What do you want us to do? And they got an answer, and they did it. But these people, they're going, we don't feel like changing anything. We don't want to do anything. They're looking for the magic wand, you know, the lucky charm. They're looking for something that will just fix their problem. Well, they should have went after God. God would have told them what to do. They would have told them to get rid of Hophni and Phinehas, but God ends up doing that himself. These people have what I call, and before we get judgmental, you and I got it too, spiritual laziness. Spiritual laziness. Oh, I seek God, change my ways, hear his voice. Oh, it sounds like a lot of work. Let's just go get the ark. No, let's go after God. See, what we keep failing to understand, I need to remind myself of this all the time too, he is the reward. He is the reward. Let's go after God. Sounds like it'd be a lot of work. No, it'll be a great reward. A great reward. He blesses those who diligently seek him. He has a relationship. It, just knowing him. You know, in the book of Revelation, there's, there's people who get this special place in heaven, and you know what it is, and they're so excited about it. Here's what it is. You can, you can read it for yourself. I don't know where it's at in the book of Revelation. Start at the end of beginning read to the end you'll find it. it they they say this their assignment is to serve God day and night serve God day and night now think about that most churches say hey we got a little sign-up sheet for those who want to serve uh, uh, whew, I don't know when I would do that but these people fall so in love with God they get it stoked because I got the assignment. I got it. I got the best assignment in heaven. What? I get to serve God day and night. I get to serve the Lord. I'm a servant of the Most High God. We need to change the way we think. Well, this is a horrible situation that happens. They go out to battle. God's not playing the game. They capture the Ark of the Covenant. They kill Hophni and Phinehas, the Philistines. They capture the Ark. One of the Benjamites, it says, runs back as a herald, runs back to the people and tells them what's happened. And Eli hears a great uproar, but Eli's blind. He can't, can't see well. 
And so he calls for the, the herald, the, the information guy to run to him. And he said, what has happened? And he said, we suffered a great defeat. Over 30,000 men have been killed in battle. Your sons, Hophni and Phinehas, have been killed. And the Philistines have captured the Ark of the Lord. It's very interesting because you know Eli loved his sons. But if you read the story, it's not the death of his sons that, that blows him away and shocks him. It's the capturing of the Ark of the Covenant. The Bible says he came out and sat in the chair for fear of the Ark of the Covenant. I, I, I'm, this is just my supposition that he knew that's not the position for the ark. It's not what I want. I'm a priest. I know how the ark is supposed to be used. This isn't it. He had a fear for it. And the Bible says when he heard that the ark of the Lord had been captured, he fell back off his chair and broke his neck and died. You think, well, that story's bad enough. And, oh, it gets worse. It gets worse. I remember one time my son Mitch was in a situation where somebody hit his vehicle and they got injured. And I said, man, I said, that could have been so much worse. And he said, it could have been so much better. And I thought, well, that's true too. <laughs> well, this is one of those situations, it could have been so much better, but it wasn't, it was worse. I think it's Phineas, Phineas's wife, with all the stress that comes upon her, she's pregnant and she gives birth. And she knows that her husband has died Eli has broken his neck, he's dead. The ark of the Lord has been captured, and, as she, and she's dying from this childbirth. And that's awful. And she gives birth, and they say, oh, don't be sad, you've given birth to a boy. And she just ignores it. And her parting words are this. Name him Ichabod, for the glory of the Lord has departed. What a sad place to be. Your child's name, Ichabod, the glory of the Lord has departed. We never, never want to experience the glory of the Lord being departed. And so all this goes down the tubes, all this tanks, because these people were spiritually lazy. There's no time for prayer, no time for the house of the Lord, no time for the word, no time for sorrow for sin, no desire to change their ways, no desire to do any of that. Just, let's just do something magical. And so we kind of do that. Well, I'll just, I'll buy me a cross necklace. I'll put on one of those rubber bracelets. You ever saw them say WWJD? WWJD, for those who don't know, means what would Jesus do? So I'm going to wear a cross bracelet. I'm going to put on a WWJD bracelet. I'm going to put a fish on the back of my car or on my notebook if I don't have a car and I'm going to school. And when you walk into my home, I've picked out a beautiful plaque from the words of Joshua. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I want to say, nothing wrong with any of those four things I said. Something wrong with it if we think, that's all I need to do. To defer and thwart defeat and to walk in victory. Now, we need to have a walk with God. We need to have a walk with God. It's interesting how we human beings go after God, guess what, when we got a problem. When sickness strikes or or a job loss, or a failure, or something catastrophic, we get on our face before God. I remember telling Darlene one time, I said, I want to be on my face before God all the time. And, and here, here's what I said, and, and I know this has flaws to it, but you'll, you'll understand my point. I don't want to train God that the only time I'm going to go after him is if I'm in a problem. 
I don't want him to think, well, the only way I can get Tracy's attention is just to back off a little bit and let some problem hit his life. No, I, I want him to know, you ain't got to send no problem my way. I'm going to love you and worship you and bless you. <laughs> we, we need to not be training God that the only time we're going to get serious about God is when there's some kind of problem in our life. We need to be going after him every day. And there's no quick fix for it. It's, a, it's, it's growing, it's developing, it's moving forward in the Lord. Now, in 1 Corinthians 10, I didn't write out the scriptures for all those. There's four things they did, and we've covered them in these stories. There was idolatry, like how they wanted to use the ark. And idolatry was actually mixed with pagan revelry, which means a drunken party. There was sexual immorality. They were testing and tempting God. And then the fourth one on the list is the one that always blows me away. The fourth one on the list was this. It's, it's 1 Corinthians 10, 10, I think. And do not grumble. I mean, you hear, they were worshiping idols and having a drunken party when God just delivered them from the hands of the Egyptians. No wonder God would get mad. And then you go through this list and go, no wonder, no wonder. Grumble? Don't grumble? Yeah. God doesn't like grumbling. I'm going to let you in on something else. No one around you likes your grumbling. No one wants to hear it. Now, I get it. When we have a bad day, we come home to our loved ones, we vent, we pack it away, we're done. I get that. That's, that's kind of being in a relationship with somebody. But when you've got the same, now this is what we used to say, you've you got a broken record, but then I noticed that young people go, record, I think I, okay. You've got a playlist, and you only got one song on it, and you got it on repeat, it's looping back over and over, and it's grumbling and complaining and grumbling and complaining and grumbling and complaining. People get tired of it. You may say, I don't know why I don't have any friends. I might know. Maybe you grumble and complain all the time. I, maybe, maybe. Now, I, I get this. There's people sitting in this room who had catastrophic things happen to their lives, and I'm not making light of it. I'm not saying it's no big deal. I'm not saying that you shouldn't have been hurt. All I am saying is, there, for your sake, you've got to climb out of the pit. You've got, you got to quit rehearsing the story. You will tend to forget what you don't rehearse. Somebody asked me the other day, what's well, three times eight? They didn't know. I knew, 40. And so I said, <laughs> they don't think about, no, it's, it's 24 for those who wonder. And I thought it's interesting because when we don't use things, haven't you noticed that? When you don't think about them and you don't use them, you tend to forget them. But if you keep that wound stirred up over and over and over and over. Darlene and I had a friend that went through something that was really bad, really was bad, really was worth bemoaning and being sad about. But they held on to it year after year, and decade after decade. And we were talking to him one time and said, hey, you know, maybe you need to deal with some of this unforgiveness or stuff. Well, I think I have. And I told him, I said, you haven't. I said, no, you haven't, because everybody who knows you and has just met you and you've had two conversations with knows about this problem in your life. And one day we were praying for them. Darling said, do you, do you think they're going to die like that? I said, now, by the way, their whole life wasn't ruined, but this was something they never could get over. And one day they did. They finally Got some years on him and passed away, never getting over that. See, God doesn't tend to help you get over stuff when you keep digging the pit, 
the pit deeper and keep digging and keep digging and keep digging. Somewhere you have to stop and say, hold it, i got to move on. Now, the major hindrance towards that, that's what it meant to be my message today, but the major hindrance towards that is that we feel like if I forgive them or if I forget this or if I don't rehearse this, I'm being kind to the person who offended me and they don't deserve that kindness. I'll say right along with you, they don't deserve that kindness, but you deserve the kindness to yourself to not live like that for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. Be free. Let it go and be free. It's not about the other person, it's about you. But I just found it so fascinating out of the four sins that grumbling, they began to grumble and complain and murmur and gripe. God doesn't like it. No one around us likes it. So that's a way to move forward. These are some actions that cause defeat in our lives and failure. But what about activities that help us have victory and triumph? In 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 9, not unfamiliar verses for us, Paul, writing to his young apprentice Timothy, says, Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, instead of, that would be a good word there, instead of, instead of getting caught up in all these old wives' tales and stuff like that, instead of doing that, the time you have invested in that, train yourself to be godly. There's always conspiracy theories floating around. And so people send them to me, and if they're a decent length, I'll watch them. And I I'm, I'm really don't ever get into them. I really probably make people mad because I don't get excited about conspiracy theory. But I had a buddy send me one and said, would you look at this and watch this? And I said, sure. And so I clicked on it and opened it up, and I looked. It's like an hour and 20 minutes long. I thought it was going to be like three minutes, five or ten. So I just called him back and said, no, I won't watch it. I said, I just don't have, I'm not motivated enough about this topic to spend over an hour looking at it, but sorry. He, he took it well. He unfriended me, but he took it well. <laughs> so I have nothing to do with godless myths or old wives' tales. Instead of spending all that time, there's an hour of time. I'd be better off training myself to be godly for an hour. Train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for what? What's the next two words? All things. Is God a liar? No. Then godliness has value for all things. For your work, for your school, for your relationships, for your health. Yeah, for all things. Holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. I like how Paul wraps this up. He's like, I ain't even going to argue about it. Verse 9, this is a trustworthy say that deserves full acceptance. Not open for debate. This is it. Let's look what Titus says, which is another, uh, another apprentice of Paul's. Paul writes to Titus and says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to how many people? All people. Aren't you glad? All people. It, now we need to figure out what the it is. The it in the flow of the this, of this structure is the grace of God. It, the grace of God, teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So are we, well, first of all, not are we. We Christians are being trained. We are being taught. We are being molded. We are. But are we being trained, taught, and molded by the world or by the word? Are we being trained, taught, and molded by, by the philosophies and the theories and the ideas and the likes and the tastes of the culture around us? which is fallen, by the way, or is it by the word of God, by the grace of God? See, when we're being trained by the culture, when we're being trained by the world, now, now think about this, I mean this graciously and kindly, it can sound mean, but 
people who don't know Jesus are training people who do know Jesus what is acceptable and what's right and how we should live and how we should think, that's wrong. Jesus, the word of God, trains and equips us. And so when we start buying into the morals and the philosophies and the ideas of this world, the culture around us, I know we're not being trained by God, we're being trained by the world. And that is most certainly a recipe for defeat and failure for a believer who's going to go after God. So we need to get serious about focusing on our walk with God. So let's get serious. And I want to remind us, these are things you know, but I want to remind you, what does the Bible say? And, and the question is, because here's what I come to, it's always a matter of, do I really believe it? Do I really believe it? Jesus said the world's running around trying to get all this stuff. He said, but believers, I don't want you to be like that. I want you to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, this is what Jesus said, and all the things the world is running after will be given to you as well. Jesus said that. So, Jesus, what you're saying is, if I'll prioritize God and my walk with God, then you'll prioritize me and my wants and my desires. Correct. Exactly. Hmm. Then Jesus went on to say that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Now, the thief most certainly could be Satan. It most certainly could be the philosophies of this world. It could most certainly be the culture or anything that, that contradicts the word of God. And ultimately, its end goal is to steal from you, to kill you, and destroy you. But Jesus said, but good news, I have come that you might have life and have it to the fullest measure, have it overflowing, have it abundantly, that you might have a rich and satisfying life. That's what Jesus said. Do we believe it? Paul, as we just read, told Timothy that godliness is profitable now in this life and in the life to come. So if we really believe it, we need to get at training ourselves to be godly. Now, there's a tension in our lives. You've felt it. You've known it. We experience it every day. We're in this world, but we're not actually of this world. And yet we do many things like the world does, which God's not opposed to. We work, we sleep, we eat, we recreate, we, we you know, take care of our families, we mow the grass, we do all those things. But there's this tension in here that we're in this broken world and we get affected by it. And so we tend to, when we think about training, I find that there's, there's two spectrums that sometimes happen. There's one pendulum swings this way. It says, oh, it don't matter what I do or how I live, it's just all God, okay? And then there's this other one over here. If I make the slightest mistake, I know I displeased God, and I'm going to split hell wide open. Okay, well, both of those are, like, really bad. There's just, like, this real biblical ground to walk in here where we say, you know what? I'm going after God. And I won't always get it right, but I'm going after God. Last night, we were driving home, and this there's a big fireworks display in Columbus. What was that about? Okay, so we're driving home. Talk about distracted driving. You know, I'm watching the fireworks while we're driving, and I'm heading towards my home, and I see a, a turnoff, and so I turn in. Darlene said, where are you going? I said, uh, well, apparently not home, because this isn't our home street. And so I whipped around. We're constantly being distracted. We do things wrong. We make mistakes at times. But I didn't just say, honey, I guess we're going to have to live here in this parking lot. You know, because I, I made a wrong turn. I made a mistake. This is... This is what I deserve. Life's awful. Well, now homestead here and parking lot, bay three. No. I turned around, said to myself, probably should pay attention, and got back on the road. And actually, you'll be good to know, 
I got home the second time. The second try, I actually made it home. Our faith is often like that. At times we get distracted by something, we make a wrong turn, we end up in the wrong place, we look around and say, what in the world am I doing here? Well, don't camp there. Get out of there. Move on. Move on. There was a guy that came to my office one day. He's a new believer. He's about two weeks old to the Lord. He came. He said, I need to talk to you, man. I said, okay. He sat down. He was antsy, darty. Seriously, he's like, I said, what do you need? Uh, uh, then he got up and he started pacing around. And seriously, he started pacing. Man, he said, Pastor, he said, I've sinned this week. I said, okay. I said, join the crowd. He said, what? What, you've sinned this week? And I said, no, not me, but other people have. Uh, no. I actually said, I'm sure I have. I said, I don't make it my goal, don't make it my dream, don't make it my vision, don't make it the, you know, where I'm heading my life. I don't want to celebrate it. I don't want to get comfortable with it, but we do sin. And you don't just stop. You get up, dust yourself off, and go on. That's really the end. That's even, even the Proverbs say, a righteous person falls seven times and rises again. We get back up, we dust ourselves off, we don't make light of it, and we move forward. We're growing. We're moving in a direction. It's very rare that we move in a direction perfectly and flawlessly with our lives. And so just keep moving forward in the Lord. So that place between, ah, who cares, and, oh, my goodness, I know God hates me. No, God loves you. He's for you. He's on your side. He wants to see you make forward momentum. When you make a mistake and you fall down, he's there cheering you on. Get up, get up, let's go, let's go, let's go. The beloved disciple John, I always love this passage, and I mention it frequently, so you've probably heard it. He says, I write these things so that you will not sin. Wow, I like that. The next verse. But if you do sin... I thought, wow, we didn't even have a verse in between the two. I write this so you will not sin, but if you do sin, guess what? We have an advocate before the Father. We have a great high priest, Jesus, who ever lives to make intercession for us. I don't know, because I, I find things in the Scripture funny, and I don't mean that disrespectfully, but I almost picture John by the Holy Spirit. I write these things so you will not sin. And then the Holy Spirit says, next line, but if you do sin. <laughs> it's like, okay, okay, we get it. We get it, John, and Holy Spirit. We probably aren't going to pull that off perfectly. So this is this week's assignment. One, evaluate your Christian walk. And don't be extreme hard on yourself, like, oh, my gosh, I'm awful. I'm never going to, you know, don't. Just be clear. Be honest with yourself. Pray about it. Look at it. Then the second thing I encourage you to do is discover what needs to be adjusted. Now, oftentimes, seriously, you'll come out of step one and you go to step two and you'll say, I found 37 things that need to be adjusted. Okay, well, you probably can't focus on 37 things, so you can just ask the Lord, what's the one or two things that you would like for me to focus on? Now, this sounds like a joke. I'm not joking about it, but you'd have to have good relationships with, with family or friends or somebody. They may see your flaws, and you want somebody who loves you, because you may say, I feel like I want to grow in God, but, but I, I don't, I don't know what to tackle first. And they may say, I can tell you right now, you are very rude. But seriously, they may say that. And you go, I am? 
yeah, you're very rude. Then, but by the way, they'll have a whole list. They'll show you all that. Wow, okay, I never saw that before. I never realized that. So, so again, you got to go to the right people and people who love you and people who want to help you. And if you don't have that, then just keep trusting the Holy Spirit to show you and things that you need to work on and adjust. And then come up with a plan. And then come up with a, a plan that's, that's doable, that you can start and grow in. I got a buddy who's always, you know, after, you know, four passes through the smorgasbord, he's always ready. That's a buffet, by the way. He's always ready to go on a diet and, and really change his life. Now, not before he goes through four times, but, and so, and then he's like, man, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to eat 500 calories a day for a year. I'm going to train for a marathon. I'm like, when's the last time you even ran? No, when's the last time you even walked fast? Okay, and now you're saying, I'm going to train for a marathon? How about we back off a little bit? How about we, we do something more sensible than that? Because it's not going to happen. They're not going to eat 500 calories a day for a year. They're not going to live and do that. They're not going to train for a marathon. So start somewhere and then build on that. And then the fourth thing is pray because you're going to need the help of the Holy Spirit to adjust anything in your life. Always, it's always him. Always him. The Holy Spirit will help us. So we pray and we ask. And then we adjust and tweak our plan as we go. And when we lapse, I know you may say, well, you don't have much faith in us, do you? I'm like John. I write these things so you will not lapse, but if you do lapse, here it is, you get up and go on. You get up and you go on. You get back up. Now, I'm just telling you the truth. I've had things, I know you would say to yourself, you can't believe that I would ever overeat, but there are times where I have, and I'll, 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 I'm kind of wired up all or nothing, so I have to watch that because I'll say, I'm going to eat healthy this week, and if I blow it on Monday for supper, you, you know what I say, I'll start again next Monday. I mean, you don't start on a Tuesday. You know, you start next Monday. But that's a bad plan. You say, okay, that was wrong. That was a bad strategy. It was the wrong thing to do. So I get myself up, dust myself off, and start again immediately, not wait for another week. So I want to encourage you to do what it takes to, to learn, to grow, to develop. You know, take pictures of these things, write them down. And again, I'm serious. We're spiritually lazy. Sometimes we go, I'm not kidding. Sometimes we're like, write it down. Man, that's like, I've got to get a notepad. Okay, well, there's a notepad free ones out there in the foyer. I'd have to get a pen. There's a pen connected to the notepad. I'd have to click it. We'll click it for you, okay? So you, we'll hold your hand and might know. There's a point where you have to say, okay, I need to do whatever it is that helps me learn. I'm going to at least give the word of God and my spiritual growth that attention. Whatever I would do for work or for school or for something else, I'm going to give the word of God that, and then we can grow. And you know what? We can, we can be everything God wants us to be for us, but not just for us, but for this hurting and broken world around us who needs touched by Jesus, who's out there. And we say, none of those people care about Jesus. Nobody wants Jesus. That's a lie. That's like, I'm going to tell you what Jesus says. I like what Jesus says. He says, open up your eyes and look out at the fields. It's white unto harvest. Well, yeah, but not our culture. Oh, yeah, our culture. You know, there's more people through this pandemic thing that have been Googling and searching Bible and Scripture and all these things. They're saying, I, I need to make sense of something. But sadly, they got a thousand places to go to get wrong, awful advice. 
So we need to be Jesus out there in the streets and at work and at school and at play. Say, so oh, I know somebody to ask. Here's somebody that loves Jesus.